welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today is the fourth in our series of summer fun horror films, and uh, it's our first one to have the word summer in the title. Woohoo! Woohoo! So you know, <laughs> the first, uh, this one is 1997's "I Know What You Did Last Summer," uh, which is a movie written by Kevin Williamson, uh, fresh off of Scream, and directed by Jim Gillespie. It stars a whole bunch of people: Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Felipe, Freddie Prince Jr., and Hesh is in there. I mean, basically any pretty boy or pretty girl during the '90s uh, is in this film. It feels like I know it's so funny. It's such a '90s time oh, capsule. Like oh it gosh. really doesn't get any more '90s than this. It's so true. <laughs> You know, this is also right at the beginning of what set off what we've talked about before with Final Destination and a lot of these other movies of this 90s hip horror. Uh, Although this one wasn't as hip as I remembered it being, honestly, going back and watching again for the very first time. Uh, since I think I think I saw this movie in the theaters, but then I, my my recollection is also that maybe I rented it with somebody and fell asleep in the middle of it. I'm not sure which <laughs> one of those recollections is the true one. <laughs> uh, maybe it's somewhere in between. You know, maybe I fell asleep in the movie theater or something. But th- the other thing about this movie now, Kevin Williamson was so hot at this time. Like as a oh writer, my gosh. Scream was was out. He people were saying he was. The most powerful man in Hollywood. He actually wrote this movie before Scream. And it's based on a a book uh, by Lois Duncan, also titled Mm -hmm. I Know What You Did Last Summer. And she wrote a lot. In fact, she was probably the original, more or less, the original like young adult suspense, thriller, spooky, horror kind of writer. You know, like like Christopher Pike kind of came after her in that vein, yeah. John Belair's. But she was before all of them, and she wrote, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, but apparently it has very little to do with this movie except very for the, little, right? the, the very crumb of an idea. In fact, I read that she hated this movie. Yeah, she did. Um, I guess they, they basically take the basic premise of, you know, teenagers hitting somebody with their car, and they took the same character names, and then kind of beyond that, it, it, it really just completely deviates uh, from the book. I don't think I read the book, which really kind of surprises me, because I was totally into those types of books when I was a... Uh, I don't know, not even a teenager, but, you know, like middle school. Uh, but I was more of a Christopher Pike guy, so mm, me I, too. I guess I, yeah. <laughs> well, bit, my wife read um, uh, a few of her books, and I think I read um, Killing Mr. Griffin, which Kevin uh, Williamson also rewrote into a movie called, was originally called Killing Mrs. Tingle, but then it unfortunately was about to be released at the same time that the Columbine massacres happened, because the subject of the matter is about some kids holding their teacher hostage. They decided to change it, the title of the book of the movie to Teaching Mrs. Tingle. That is so funny, because I had completely forgotten about that movie, and that movie is awesome. Isn't Helen Mirren in that movie? You're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it, it was a good movie. I remember, again, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I remember being a pretty good movie. <laughs> so it's so weird. If, no, if, if nothing else, then for Helen Mirren, maybe maybe we watched the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Okay, so I've I've dumped my history about this movie in, in everybody's face. What was your history with this movie, Craig? Oh gosh, you know I was I remember being super stoked to see it because of course Scream was huge and everybody. Well, everybody I knew uh, loved Scream, and and I did too. And and uh, the other draw of this movie for me was Sarah Michelle Gellar, who, quite frankly, I'm still in love with. Like I, I just think that she's just one of the coolest chicks in the world, and she's just she's gorgeous in that way that you wish your best girlfriend from high school was gorgeous. You know that girl that you know, you're best friends with, but you secretly hope that one day she'll realize that you're supposed to be together. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) Uh, And she's just, oh God, she's such a badass. I love her so much. I think that was, 
my draw uh, to the movie. Uh, I don't remember. I think I probably saw it in the theater, too, because, you know, it came out after Scream, and there was all this hype around it. And uh, I remember liking it at the time, um, and then, yeah, God, I haven't seen it in years. I have no idea when the last time I saw this movie was. And then watching it again this time, uh, I'm a little bit more lukewarm on it. I just feel like it, it just hasn't aged particularly well for whatever reason. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to kind of be a Debbie Downer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I am too, man. <laughs> to be honest, it's... Uh... I don't know. Maybe it's because so many other better movies came after this. I think this was trying to capitalize. Like I said, he wrote this before Scream. It was bought. The script was bought by a studio, but then the script was just kind of put on a shelf and not actually produced. Once Scream came out and was a huge hit, this got drugged back out again. And um, and Jim Gillespie, who didn't do much of anything before this and really hasn't done much of anything after this, um, directed the movie. And the movie tries to cop that same that's that '90s style. Like yeah. the the cinematography is all these just like beautiful, gorgeous, perfectly lit, but swooping. Like, does the camera swoop through this movie? Yeah, uh, across the scenes in very clever ways with clever transitions and things like that. And then everybody in here has perfect hair. Uh, like oh I, yeah, it. They're all very sexy at all <laughs> times, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. They get wet, they're even sexier, you know? They get dirty, like, oh, God, right? Like, every bit of makeup, every every follicle of hair is perfectly placed on everybody here, and the perfect skin. And it's just, it's just like Scream, but it's not like Scream, because it's the movie that Scream is making fun of or calling out, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, to me, it's almost like a step backwards coming after Scream, you know? Uh, yeah. It is. It doesn't have that self-aware humor uh, mm-hmm. about it. it. It's really just more of a straightforward slasher, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I, I want to start off, I guess, not being entirely negative and, and say that it's really competently done. Like, oh, sure. It looks good. You the know, it's, it's very shiny and polished, and the cinematography's good. It's got kind of a cool soundtrack. It's got, like, this soundtrack all full of, like, these 90s alternative covers and... Yeah. Um, everybody's very beautiful and you know like like it's got a lot going for it it's just the the i don't know the plot's a little hokey yeah it's hokey and it's not even like you know when a person says it's a slasher movie and it bills itself as a slasher movie there's not a lot of slashing going on not not a ton not until the tail end it doesn't have the grittiness that slasher movies tend to have and well i mean of course the slasher movies of the 90s didn't like, the lack of grittiness was part of their style, I guess. Yeah. But uh, from today's perspective, it fits in very nicely with a lot of those 90s horror movies. It was just a little too slick, a little too clean, um, a little too beautiful to, to be a horror, you know, to be taken seriously. Like, to be scary as a horror movie, as, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I mean, it, it certainly feels like a studio movie, you know, yeah. like a big a big budget studio movie, which, again, there's nothing wrong with that. And they're good ones. You know, Final yeah. Destination. We love Final Destination. It kind of fits in that vein. Yeah. And it, you know, it's got, well, I mean, to say that it's got a little bit of urban legend in it is an understatement, but, you know, it, it's it's that type of feel uh and and the movies were those movies were very very popular uh at the time and they made big money so you know <laughs> we can sit here whatever 20 oh god it is 20 years later i graduated oh, geez, in 1997 dude. yeah um so we can sit here 20 years later and poo poo on it but you know it it was a huge hit (laughs) it was was. blockbuster movie well and it wasn't critically successful at the time either but it the public loved it and it made a ton of money well i guess we better get into the plot um okay (laughs) (laughs) well i'll take it from here then I can read Wikipedia just as well. <laughs> okay, so you, you know it it opens with this big sweeping shot over the ocean, and I can't believe that I'm waiting now that we're actually recording to ask you this, but I was genuinely curious because you see these um, shots all the time, 
uh, of, you know, like, it's just this huge sweeping shot over the ocean. How do they do that, Todd? It's pretty is awesome, that, isn't it? I, I, I'm, I'm legitimately asking, like, is that like a helicopter deal? Yeah. Like, how do... It used to be. I mean, nowadays they do drones and things, but yeah, you know, back in the day, pretty much a helicopter. And 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 this one's impressive, isn't it? Because it goes for so long, and then it, like a lot of these that are impressive, it ends up in like perfectly timed into some small detail. You know, zooming right in on it, uh-huh. allowing just enough time for all the credits coming back around, and then zooming into that guy sitting on the cliff edge. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's so it's they- helicopter. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, good. Thanks. All right. <laughs> so, so we zoom in on this kid, this young guy sitting on a cliff, basically. And I don't know, he's got some kind of like necklace or something, but like it's like a, a, a silver disc uh, that can like spin in this kind of cradle or something. And he's playing with it. I don't know. It shows up several times throughout the movie. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, it's really insignificant, but they make sure that we see it a hundred times throughout the whole thing. Um, and he's just sitting there, whatever. And then he starts to see some fireworks, which leads us to this small town. I'm not sure where it's supposed to be, other than that it's coastal and uh, South Carolina, having, I think. something like that. Y- yeah, one of the Carolinas. It's supposed to be. I read that they did most of the shooting in one of the Carolinas, but. All this coastal stuff they actually shot in California because apparently the director or cinematographer, whomever, said that uh, whichever Carolina they shot it in was too flat and they needed Mm. more depth and stuff, especially for this big car scene that's coming up. But anyway, they're having, I don't know, some sort of Fourth of July festival. It's the Croker Festival. I don't don't know if this is like a frogging town. You know, I don't have any idea. I think it's a Croker... A frog, or isn't that isn't that a kind of fish? I thought a croaker was a kind of fish. You're probably I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were the giant I, fish floats that floated yeah. by on the parade that kind of like t- clued me into that, Craig. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just thought it was a funny name. I don't know. <laughs> okay, and so we get introduced to all of our main characters very early on. Helen is played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, who I can't say enough about. She's, I just love her. Um, she's Georgia a beauty Pitt. queen. She's she's in the Croker Queen <laughs> contest. <laughs> um, and in the Croker Queen contest, like they ask her about her future or whatever. At summer's end, I plan to move to New York City, where I'll pursue a career as a serious actress. It's my goal to entertain the world through artistic expression. Through art... I shall serve my country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she wins. She's the croaker queen. Oh, my God. And uh, tells you the standards this town has. Yeah, I just like they just keep introducing all these characters one after another. And like in my notes, you know, I just going down the page. Like We meet Elsa. Elsa's her sister, played by Bridget Wilson Sampras, I think. If I remember correctly, she was the blonde girl from the Mortal Kombat movies. But don't quote me on that. Mm. Uh, could be wrong. Um, but she's a bitch. That's her whole character, character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and then we meet max played by johnny galecki who of course now is a like a bazillionaire from his role on the big bang theory uh back then known for his role on uh roseanne and he's pathetic he's a pathetic loser who is in love with uh or in love with that's not really fair he's fawning over julie who is played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, she was my girl, actually. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt, as opposed to Sarah Michelle Gellar, has a little bit more of that uh, girl-next-door innocence about her. She does. It's so funny. I wasn't going to say this because it's so mean. And Jennifer Love Hewitt is she's such a beautiful girl. And uh, she, uh, you know, she, a, a, a good actress in her own right. But I always called her Pinhead because I always thought she had a pointy head. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really looking at her head for most of it. <laughs> oh, no. oh, God. You know, uh, if you're listening to our podcast for the first time, you may not know much about us. And, and I swear to God, I'm not a chauvinist. I'm really not. But she's got great tits. Like, she's got, like... <laughs> and there's, there's one point in the movie where they say something about Sarah Michelle Gellar's boobs and how great they are. And, like... <laughs> like, they totally misplaced that line. That's all we need to say about it. It's, yeah. 
and then we meet Barry, who is Sarah Michelle Geller, Helen's boyfriend, played by Ryan Philippe. And they went on to star in Cruel Intentions together. Mm. Which was an interesting movie. And so yeah. they, you know, they had some stuff going on, um, and then there's also uh, Ray, who is played by Freddie Prince Jr., and he's set up kind of be kind of like the nice every guy, <laughs> also stunningly handsome. <laughs> yeah, a very handsome guy. He and Sarah Michelle Gellar met on this movie, went on to get married, and are still married. You know, all this time later, they seem to be very happy. I'm very happy for him, I guess. (laughs) 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 And, uh, okay, so so we've got the four friends, Julie, Helen, Barry, and Ray. And after Helen wins the the Croker Queen, they decide to go to Dawson's Beach. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> when you're the writer, you could do things like that. <laughs> well, yeah, great. Kevin Williamson wrote Dawson's Creek, so you know, a little wink and a nudge there. And they go to the beach, and they're they're sitting around a fire. You know, it's all very typical, and they're telling, you know, this urban legend story, and they're all kind of arguing over how it goes. Okay, the boy goes for help, and the girl stays in the car, and she hears this, like, scratching sound. It's not a scratching sound. It's a drip. No. It's scratching because the guy's been hung from a tree limb and his feet are scratching on no, the roof of the no, car. No, no, he's been decapitated and it's the blood from his severed neck that's dripping on the car and it's going drip, drip, drip. No, he wasn't decapitated. He was gutted with a hook. That's the way I heard it. Look, you're all wrong. Now, we've all heard this story, the urban legend of the guy with the hook, but of course, every time you hear it, it's a little bit different. You know, that's how urban legends work. And and then <laughs> they're, they're, they're all drinking and banging and like, you know, just a great summer of 97 and talking about what they're going to do and they're going off in their different directions and one's going to college, you know, are we going to stay, you know, together when I'm gone and things like that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but then they have to go home, and um, Barry is out of his mind drunk, but they're in his car. He drives like a Beamer or something, and uh, he's adamant that nobody else can drive his car but him, but eventually they convince him to let Ray drive. And they're driving along, and Barry's being a dick because that's his only character and he like he stands up in the sunroof with his big bottle of whiskey or whatever and he drops the bottle of whiskey and it falls down on ray who is driving which distracts him and they hit something and uh they stop the car and you know they're all kind of freaking out like what happened what did we hit and at first they think it's an animal um, but then uh, Julie goes and investigates a little bit, and she finds a boot, a bloody boot. And, and when they look just a little bit further, it turns out that they have hit a guy. And uh, it's this guy, like, in a fisherman's slicker. And he's he's so bloody in the face that they, you know, they can't, they don't know who it is. They can't recognize him, but they think he's dead, and so they have to figure out, what to do and that you know that's kind of the jumping off spot for the whole thing yeah you know they're arguing and of course um barry's like we're going to get so much trouble let's just dump them in the water uh and the others are at various levels of how can we do that that's not right especially jennifer love hewitt's character julie is really painted as the most moral of them (laughs) <laughs> oh god she's a goody goody she's like annoyingly goody goody yeah <laughs> like i'm not saying that it's okay to like run over somebody and then dump them in the water but like uh i wouldn't be friends with her <laughs> <laughs> you're out of the group <laughs> so so anyway they end up dumping it uh in the water but not before a truck starts to come by and so they quickly kind of toss the body over the edge and pretend like they're puking the car that pulls up is max yeah and so max is like hey how's it going what's going on and he exchanges some mean words with them and then he drives on so they narrowly avoid max seeing what's going on we suppose right they take it down to the dock and they have a little more argument about who's gonna actually kick it in uh 
and uh, Julie says she doesn't want to do it. Julie notices a tattoo on the guy's arm. And then just as they're leaning down to toss the guy in, the guy actually kind of like wakes up and grabs one of them. And it grabs the crown right off of Helen's head. She's still wearing her crown and pulls it down with him as he falls into the water. And so Barry dives in the water and this guy is now floating in the water. This is <laughs> this is really a dumb plan because they're, this dock is just in in this inlet and they're talking about how, oh yeah, it'll get swept out to sea because there's this terrible undercurrent. There's no undercurrent when he dives no. into this water. It's just a bunch of seaweed and this body peacefully floating in this peaceful water. Not even floating, no, like it's on upright. the bottom. Like, yeah. why is it just like hanging out on... <laughs> <laughs> He's just chilling. <laughs> I yeah. was thinking again of the freaking... And darn it, of course the cinematography's beautiful. The, it, it is. It looks great. <laughs> it looks fantastic. I was still thinking of the zombie shark fight scene from... from <laughs> Definitely from Zombie Two because it's it's just like it. Uh, this guy's just upright and white and pale and almost dead already. Anyway, um, he ends up grabbing the crown from this guy, but his eyes open and I think he lunges out at him and Barry freaks out and he swims back up and goes to the top. You know, it's just so funny. Like at no point in this do these people go, "Oh, he's not dead." Okay, let's take him to the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> like maybe we should alter our plan a little bit. At least consider altering our plan a little bit. Um, they're content to basically just uh, finish the job, you know, without even talking about it. It's kind of weird. Right. Well, and, and okay, so then Barry comes back up and he gives Helen the crown or whatever, and, and he has this whole big angry spiel. Never, ever, under any circumstances known to God, speak about this again. Is that clear? It is now merely a future therapy bill, agreed? Ellie! I'll never mention it again. We make a pact. Right here and now we take this to our grave. Agreed. Julie? Don't you noise your head, you fing say it! Yeah, okay. We take this to our grave! Let me hear it! Let it go, Barry! You know, I didn't even really think about things like this being uh, overly dramatic at the time, but, like, at some point, he grabs Julie by the neck and, like, throws her up against his car and is, like, strangling her, and her boyfriend... Just stands Ray, there. Freddie Pr- <laughs> ...is just standing there like, hey, knock it off. Like, <laughs> what? Like, this guy is assaulting your girlfriend. Yeah. But, but... You know, okay, so whatever. So they agree they're never going to speak of it again. And then they drive away, and we see what I think was that spinny thing that the guy on the cliff was playing with on the ground. And, and you know, I'm thinking, what the heck? But whatever, yeah, there it is. Saying. I'm still kind of thinking, what the heck? And then it jumps to one year later. And this is so funny to me because it's so cliche like it it jumps to one year later Uh and julie's at college but now apparently the the guilt has reduced her to like this gothy gloomy gus like (laughs) like like (laughs) she gets she has stringy hair and she only wears like gray (laughs) like it's it's so silly and and that's what it is like we get to see how this is basically just kind of ruins them all like okay so she goes home for the summer her mom kind of talks about how disappointed she is in her and like her dad's dead and her mom at one point it's like your dad must be spinning in his grave at what you've become how horrible is that it that's the one thing you got to say about this movie, especially upon or you know later reflection. Is it yeah. is so dramatic. It is way oh, it's too melodramatic. Dramatic. That's the thing. Like I was thinking, this movie would never play now, except for that's not true. No, it because unless like you see these movies on like Lifetime all the time. Yeah, I know. I know that we have some international viewers out there uh, or listeners, excuse me. Um, but Lifetime is this cable network e- here in the states that just plays these totally melodramatic movies that are are geared towards women. But um, they have titles like "Mother, May I Sleep with Danger," like the most, <laughs> like the most ridiculous things. And and this 
this movie would fit perfectly uh, on on that network now. They're very melodramatic and silly. But anyway, okay, so she's home and her mom berates her and then she gets this note in the mail. It's not postmarked. There's no return address. Um, and all it says is, I know what you did last summer. So she freaks out and she goes, apparently Helen, Sarah Michelle Gellar, her family owns a store in town. And so Julie goes there to ask Helen's sister, Elsa, can you tell me how to get in touch with Helen in New York? And she's like, Helen's not in New York. She's right over there. She works here now. And, and again, as you know, it just like everybody's lives have just collapsed because of this event. Um, and now Helen, see, well, not mousy, but like mousier than she was before. And she's just like yeah. the perfume girl at her family store. And it, I, I don't know. It's lame. This whole, <laughs> it is lame. It's so lame because this whole sequence, and I'm trying to put it in context of the time, but you would think that, that 10 years have gone by the way that these peoples have, have completely changed, completely lost touch with each other and talk to each other. Like, so Ray grew up to be a fisherman, huh? You know, like, no, it's only been a freaking year. You know, I mean, you would imagine they would at least kind of have some touch, except, except I was thinking about this just a little while ago. You know, this was right at the point where we didn't have cell phones yet. Or Facebook. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that big of a dramatic change, but I pretty much did lose touch with most of my high school friends during my entire first year in college because I didn't bother to pick up the phone and call them wherever the hell they were because I didn't have their numbers and didn't go home and wasn't in constant contact with the, with the people I wanted to be in contact with for whatever reason. And you just kind of dove into your new life wherever you were and made all those new friends. And so, yeah, I guess it's to, in that way, it does actually make sense, but they make it seem like it's, it's just, again, like the rest of the movie, it's overly dramatic, you know? Mm-hmm. Like this girl was apparently at New York and tried her hand and then came back, and now she's working at the department store, mm-hmm. all within a year. Right. You know? <laughs> then they go uh, to see Barry. And Barry's still an asshole. Yep. <laughs> That's what I have in my notes. Barry's still a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just living in this really super fancy house on the coast, you know, with his... I guess he's just, he just never went to school. He's just living there. Well, it's his, it's his parents' house. His parents are rich. Actually, I think that Barry's kind of the only one who really went off and did what he was supposed to do. Like, he was going to go off and play... Just be co- a rich asshole? Yeah, well, and he was going to go off and play college at football, or play football in college, and uh, oh, that's, he did that's what that. he did, but he's back for the summer, too. And still a dick. And you know, this that's the other thing about this. It's kind of like Friends, you know, when you really think about it. It's so dramatic. It makes these problems seem so horrible, except how can you engender too much sympathy for these people? I mean, this guy's family is super rich. Right. Yeah. And this guy, this woman, obviously she's fine. She's going to college. She lives in a nice house. Her mother cares for her and whatever. Uh, the other wo- woman still working in her parents' department store. You know, she's got a fallback job. The only person is the fourth guy, Ray, mm. who is uh, working on the docks. There's something about his father who just who died or something. And he's back being a fisherman. Nobody here is in this like really horrible position. It's all kind of self-centered issues. Well, and I was also really questioning my character at this point because this sounds so callous because it is, but like I, I was watching it thinking, "Oh, they'd get over it." <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get it. It was tragic, it was horrible, but life goes on. <laughs> and life is going on pretty well for these people, you know, considering maybe their classmates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even know this guy. Apparently, nobody even really misses him. Now, we do find out that uh, Julie has done some research, and, and she's found that this guy, she thinks she knows who it is that they killed. His name is David Egan. He's this guy who is just a little bit older than them. They had found his body in a fisherman's net, and uh, he was presumed to have committed suicide or, or something, but... Um, they think that's the guy they killed, so they they feel bad about it or whatever. But you know, the the plot just keeps going on, and like they they of course remember that Max had showed up that night, so Barry immediately thinks that Max is messing with them. So they go and confront him. He also works down on the docks, and without 
explaining why he just, you know, basically assaults Max and kind of... Barry, yeah. Yeah, and just kind of, you know, beats him up a little bit. And then leaves and tells the girls, yeah, I just took care yeah, of it. Yeah, I took care and of it. nobody else saw it. Then we get the hook. This is where the whole hook thing comes in. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. Max has a hook. He hangs the hook up. Uh, Max turns around to drop some crabs and some boiling water, and the hook is gone. And then a guy in a rain slicker comes out and kills Max. And I'm thinking at this point, why? Exactly. Why? <laughs> and I'll what tell did Max you. Max, <laughs> do? Okay, because when you're watching this movie, and I'm sorry, even by the end of the film, I'm thinking, I mean, you, you watch this movie, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's all been set up. They got the note. Everyone who is involved in that is in danger. Max wasn't involved in that, in, right? At, at all. No, he wasn't at all. And that, I swear, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, Max didn't do anything. He just tried to flirt with the girls and, like, you know, <laughs> like, he wasn't yeah. very nice either. Like, Except for Buffy and Pinhead and Buffy's <laughs> husband. Um, you know, those three are nice. Um, but everybody else in the movie is just jerks for no apparent reason. And and Max is kind of a jerk in his own right. So he's got mm. that going for him or whatever. But seriously, he had nothing to do with this. Why would he get killed? Well, the reason is, is because the execs decided that it was too slow. Like, kill somebody. <laughs> kill somebody already. And you so, know what? So they did it in reshoots. You know, it was, <laughs> a, it was after the movie was totally over. They killed off Max in reshoots because they decided oh. there wasn't enough killing. <laughs> and Max comes up later in the most improbable way, which is also quite silly. And I think that it shows because it was freaking slow. Like, up until this point. I mean, it's a ton and ton of setup. Lots of talking, yeah. And it, and you know, and it feels like it's maybe building and maybe building, and then it builds to this point where it's like, what the hell? Am, are we totally off on what this movie is going to be? And then after that first killing, it's not, we don't get any, but nobody else dies until the last like 15 minutes or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it is, I guess the body count, if you count it out, is high, but it does not follow the Roger Corman model <laughs> yeah. of, you know, some some brutal death every, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. In hindsight, I just think that it's just a really poorly written script. Like, I, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the next part that comes up, okay, so they get Ryan Philippe half naked, which I ain't complaining about. Yay. Um, <laughs> but uh, they get him half naked in a gym and then like he gets a like a pic like a picture of his car or something with I know written on it and then his jacket is stolen out of his locker and so he goes out uh, and somebody's stealing his car. The car is like speeding down the road backwards and he's chasing it and then all of a sudden it turns on its high beams and starts chasing after him and eventually it it hits him. Like it, it hits him and throws yeah. him like through a wall and he's injured and then we see this this is the first time we see, you know, the killer totally. And, you know, it's just this big scary guy and this big rain slicker and a big, you know, rain hat. And you can't really see who he is or whatever. But he stands there over him with the hook as uh, Barry is, you know, screaming for help. And then it just cuts to black and then it opens up in the hospital yeah and he's fine and barry's like oh he's not gonna kill us because if he was gonna kill us he could have he could have just killed me just then yeah right like yeah like, exactly like, what like, is what's this? the point <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even make any sense i know man Why? i know like if he's gonna kill you and obviously that's his intent and he spoiler alert he does kill barry later like what are you waiting for i like, know Oh. Do it. It's just like they had more movie to fill, and I guess they needed Barry's asshole in there to just kind of like balance out the team for a little while longer. God, it makes no sense. And and I think everybody's scratching their head at this point, you know? And there's no crazy twist like, oh, the killer's motive is not what we think it is. It's exactly what we think it is from the very beginning. It just doesn't make sense that he killed one guy who wasn't involved and let this guy go for a little while longer. You know, yeah, so it's it's kind of annoying, actually. And then the other <laughs> thing that really frustrates about me about this movie is that they throw in all these red herrings, and I, I guess they do it, I don't know, for mystery, for intrigue, to make the movie longer. I don't know, but like. Uh, Barry refuses to go to the police because he's still afraid that they'll get in trouble or something. I don't know. 
doesn't make any sense, but uh, Julie and Helen go into research mode and like I I don't remember if they go to the library or just get on one of their old ninety seven computers <laughs> or whatever, but AOL or something, yeah. Yeah, they they research this guy that they think they killed David Egan, um, and they find out that his girlfriend had uh, died in a car accident. Uh, David was driving, and like they went into the ocean or whatever, and David survived, but Susan didn't. And they're like, "Well, let's go find David's family because because they think it it's him." I don't even know. I don't even remember uh, what's going on. I don't know why. So they go out to this house, which, okay, so I I read that actually the house that they go to is the same house that they used in The Conjuring. Kind of cool, whatever. But they meet Missy Egan, played by Anne Heche, who I swear to God thought that she was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or or the people who were, you know, directing and styling her, because she's in this big house in the middle of the nowhere. She's wearing these old, dingy clothes. She's acting like she's just out of her mind crazy. Yeah. They see pictures of David. We see that he was the guy from the cliff in the beginning. She, Anne Hayes, says something about... One guy, he, he stopped by not too long after David's death and, and he came to pay his respects. Really? Oh, yeah, he was a really nice guy. He was cute and smart. And... Well, we were, we were sweet on each other for about two minutes. But it didn't, it didn't work out. You know, he, he, didn't, he never really said it, but I think it hurt him to be around me. It's just so convoluted and stupid. And then there's like a stupid jump scare where Anne Heche like scares them like they're sitting in the car and she pounds on their window. It's just so many cliched, stupid things thrown into one. It just, I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess maybe in 97 it worked, but it was not working for me this time no, around. Me neither. And just the fact they were interrogating her. I mean, doesn't she wonder why they're, these, these strangers who shut up at their house, at her house because their car broke down are asking her all these detailed questions about her brother? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she's like begging them to stay after as they decide they need to leave suddenly. Yeah, like she needs friends. <laughs> the only new information they get out of that is this Billy Blue thing. Yeah. Later that night, we go to back to Helen, right? Yeah, yeah. She's at her house and she comes in and there's a a bunch of stuff where you can see that there's a there's a shadow uh, following her into the house. Her dad's downstairs, but he's watching TV and stuff and nobody notices that this clearly this guy with a rain slicker is creeping into the house while she's getting ready for bed and apparently ends up in the closet. And it's a well actually it's a well-filmed scene like everything else, you know, it's it's yeah. pretty suspenseful. What's the payoff? In the morning she wakes up and her hair's all chopped up. He cut her hair. Oh my god, the beauty queen's <laughs> hair has been cut to ribbons. Really? Really? Did she, why? You know, and then is he still in the closet? How does he get out of the house? I was asking all of these kinds of questions as well. This guy's got a lot of time and he doesn't have a very good plan, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and he, you know, he must have like a side job at like Vidal Sassoon or something because it still looks fabulous. <laughs> it still looks fabulous. <laughs> like it's just a co- like he just took a little bit off the tips. <laughs> <laughs> he layered it. <laughs> oh god, it's so funny. It- and, and then it, it's that scene, okay, so Helen calls Julie. Julie starts racing over, and she hears something in oh, God. the trunk, I guess. So she pulls over. It's a scraping sound. It's supposed to sound yeah. like the scraping of the hook or something, you know? And I thought that was a clever. Yeah, and she she opens up the trunk, and Max, Johnny Galecki, is dead in there, and he's covered in all these crabs. And, like, it's gross, it's scary, cool, whatever. So she just runs the rest of the way to Helen's house. Which is, like, across the street. Right. Oh, yes, that's important. <laughs> like it, it, It's, like, right there. Barry's there with her, and so she brings them back. And this part still, I remember it bothering me at the time, but to this day it bothers me because she brings them back and she throws open the trunk. And not only is the body gone, but any evidence of there having been anything in the trunk is gone. Now, like, I could understand if there was just a dead body in there, you know, maybe somebody 
could have driven up and I guess in the middle of the day somehow covertly pulled a dead body out of the car. But it was full of ice and live crabs. Like Yeah. It's not Did even he wet. like take it to the detailing shop real quick before <laughs> she got back? <laughs> Did he swap so hers out for a car just like hers that had a cleaner <laughs> trunk? Like no matter what he had to do to make this even possible, it was in the middle of a suburban neighborhood in the middle of the day where it yeah. just so happens that nobody happens to be standing around or walking outside at that precise moment. Oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> really dumb. Oh, God. Okay. And, and then there's, I, I feel like, the scene that they showed in the trailer. Like, if, if you ever see anything about this movie, this is the scene you see with Jennifer Love Hewitt standing in the middle of the road screaming like, What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Come get us, man! (laughs) (laughs) And then Ray shows up and Barry punches him because they think that maybe he's behind it or something. But then Ray says, No, it couldn't have been me. I got a letter too. And there's a really funny quote. (laughs) Ryan (laughs) Philippe has one good line in the whole movie. Oh, you got a letter. I got run over. Helen gets her hair chopped off. Julie gets a body in a trunk and you get a letter? That's balanced. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. So then their plan, and this is also so convoluted. At some point, Helen's sister has come in and asked if she can go and help her at the store. And Helen says, no, I can't today because you know I have to participate as the previous... (laughs) Winner of the crown in this Croker parade for the fourth. There's nothing that can be done about it. Nothing can be done at all. It's so important. (laughs) I have to go. It's the rules. (laughs) (laughs) And so they decide that they're going to use this parade. They're like, the killer will be there. We'll draw him out. This is how we trap him. What? How? Yeah, he'll probably be there because everybody in town's going to be there. Yeah. (laughs) It's so. It's a fishing town, so yeah. <laughs> odds are there's going to be somebody there in a fisherman's slicker. <laughs> Which they point out about Ray at some point, right? Everybody knows you have a slicker, Ray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, then the lame red herrings just continue. So the, she's floating through the town in the, on the top of this parade. In the meantime... Ryan Felipe's character standing on the front, like looking left and right, left and right as they pass by. Oh no, there's a guy in a rain slicker and a hat. There's a guy in a rain slicker and a hat. There's a guy in a rain slicker and a hat. The only people wearing hats in this entire outdoor middle of the day parade far away from water are people in rain slickers with the same hat on that the killer has. Yeah. There's no need to wear a hat. These are hats for when it's raining. It's right. not raining. <laughs> Why are so many people with rain slickers and hats standing out in this crowd at this moment? <laughs> anyway, oh, of course, gosh. he runs off and he jumps and he try, tracks down the first guy he sees and it's an old man. And he runs and he looks at somebody else and it's not them. Helen eventually actually sees the guy and the guy like flashes the hook at her. But, you know, it's it's also dumb. Nothing comes of it. Meanwhile, Julie goes back to Missy's to do further investigation, and as it turns out, Missy says, my brother didn't get hit by a car, he killed himself. And and she's like, what do you mean? It's like, he even left a note. And so Missy shows her this note, and it's one of those I-know-what-you-did notes. You know, it's the same kind of note uh, that they got. And she's like, this isn't a suicide note, it's a death threat. And then immediately she figures it all out. Now, of course... She doesn't reveal it all to us right uh, right away. What she figures out is that... Okay, so... Help me with this, because I'm still confused. (laughs) Okay, all right. So the guy, David, this guy who they thought was the killer, remember he had been in that car accident with his girlfriend, and the girlfriend had died. Mm -hmm. Well, the girlfriend's dad is the fisherman. And Mm. the fisherman killed David on the same night that they then hit him with the car. Oh, they killed him after he killed David. Exactly. Or didn't kill him, as it turns out. Right, or didn't kill him, right. But Julie figures it all out, but, you know, she has to get back to town to tell everybody. Meanwhile, we go back to the, the new 
Croker Queen competition, which I thought was so funny because, like, apparently the outgoing Croker Queen sits on stage for the duration of the thing. Like, like this, <laughs> like this girl's up there doing her talent, and <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar's just sitting there on stage, like, rolling her eyes, like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Which you'll notice, actually, in the initial Croker Queen pageant, the outgoing one wasn't sitting there. Right. <laughs> it's it's totally for convenience because while she's sitting there, her ex-boyfriend, they've kind of rekindled their romance at this point. He's standing up in the balcony. She sees him get killed by the fisherman with the hook. And she's screaming and trying to get to him and people are holding him back. Um, and the the local cop's like, what's going on (laughs) why are you acting crazy and like he just totally dismisses her like oh you silly girl like the whole time and and, like they go upstairs and like he looks around for like one second doesn't even turn the lights on or anything no you must you must just be crazy (laughs) (laughs) but then this okay i have i will give the movie credit for this because it leads to my favorite part Um, the cop is going to give her a ride home and he puts her in the back of the cop car and they hit like a detour, which, you know, should be a red flag, but you know, they've got parades and stuff going on. So, you know, kind of makes sense. And so then they have to go through this alley and in the alley, they see somebody who seemingly has car trouble and the cop gets out to, you know, see what's going on. And of course we know it's the fisherman and soon, uh, Helen realizes it and she starts screaming and um, the fisherman kills the cop which starts out this scene that I actually think is a great scene and maybe if I didn't love Sarah Michelle Gellar so much I wouldn't be so enamored with this scene but I love it she 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 totally flips her Buffy switch and <laughs> um, and and kicks out the the cop car window which I kind of think is impossible because I think those are kind of like shatterproof or whatever yeah. but anyway she she gets out she runs in her gown to her family store and the guy's you know, I don't know maybe 50 yards behind her and she's banging on the door because it's locked and her bitchy sister is in there and the sister's just taking her time to get to the door meanwhile we see the fisherman getting closer and closer like he's he's catching up um but finally uh the sister gets her in there and helen's like somebody's attacking me you know lock the doors uh i i'm gonna call the police and so the sister locks one door but then when she goes to lock the other door the fisherman's already got in and he kills the sister which i was glad because she was mean anyway um (laughs) but but then there's this great he chases helen all through the store and she's being totally resourceful and like you know pulling herself up the cargo elevator and like you know climbing things and running all over and she's always one step ahead of him and eventually she has to go out a window but it's on the second floor and the killer like comes to grab her through the window and she jumps down and she falls on her back in the alley uh and she she gets up and she's running through the alley and i just uh i love this part so much she's running through the alley and she turns a corner and she sees the parade right in front of her and she starts running towards it and when she's maybe i don't know 10 feet from immersing herself in these people she stops and she turns around there's nobody behind her but she turns back around and the kill her there's like these piles of tires on either side of the alley the killer jumps out from one of those grabs her and they start fighting and Helen is the only one in the whole movie who puts up a fight and mm. she puts up a hell of a fight trying to fight this guy off but eventually she gets killed but what i love about this is that this all happens within feet of this huge you know public event that's going on 
but I totally believed that this could happen yeah. because you know it's loud. Uh, you know the the parade is just going by, so anybody who is going by would really just only be catching glimpses of what was going on in this dark alley. Um, and she fights and fights and fights, but eventually he kills her, which makes yeah. me sad. But I love <laughs> that scene. I think it's so good. It's a pretty tense scene, and you're wondering if she's going to make it. And she's you know everybody else has just been whacking your dead, but she at least you know has she's the one who has this really nice long drawn out battle before we get to the you know the battle at the end right and but the town itself is either completely full of festivity and excitement and noise and fireworks or 100% desolate yeah you know depending on which street you turn down and and this pretty much leads up to the end julie i feel like i don't even know who she's looking for but um she ends up uh finding ray on the boat uh on his boat God bless Freddie Prince Jr. He's a, a cool guy. He's a nice guy, but he's really only got one character. Like, yeah. he's just kind of this dopey, handsome, nice guy. But, uh, like, she finds him, and he's like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Just come on the boat with me. And, like, he's acting shady AF. And um, mm-hmm. so, of course, you know. I don't think that we as the audience are supposed to believe that he's the killer because we've seen the killer doing other yeah. things. I don't know. Um, but she thinks he is, so she runs away, um, and he starts chasing her, which is the smart thing to do if somebody thinks you're shady. And mm. uh, he get he gets knocked out by this guy. And this guy's like, oh, I'll help you. Just get on my boat. So she happily gets on his boat. And when she gets inside his cabin, she sees, you know, all these newspaper clippings, pictures of her and her friends. And so it's obviously him. um, And he's the killer. And uh, then that it just it's a it's a good five minute cat and mouse scene with him chasing her around the boat. And, you know, I I guess it's tense. It's a little drawn out for my liking, but mm-hmm. and you know, and, and then it's you know that thing where the bad guy's chasing the heroine and the the boyfriend's trying to help, and like he'll show up and he'll fight the bad guy for a second, but then the bad guy throws him off the boat, but like he gets caught in the net, so he can crawl back in, and he ends up getting a motorboat. He's off the boat at some point. Yeah. He ends up getting a mo. Yeah, it's all at the end of the day. Um, he uses somehow tosses some rigging over this guy's hand as he's about to raise his um his hook, hook yeah. uh, to to kill her finally and uh then he tosses it another direction or flips some switch or something and the guy gets yanked up into the rafters or whatever you call it up into the rigging and then um it jerks his hand with the hook clean off mm-hmm. which then causes him to fall completely down into the water Mm-hmm. and away so you get this oh gee i wonder if there's going to be a sequel you know where right, we never see right. this guy completely dead but left there ominously as this hook with this hand still attached and you know that's kind of a throwback to that ur- urban legend they were talking about in the very beginning right. conveniently there's a silly little scene with the two of them the boyfriend and girlfriend where they're like oh as it turns out we didn't really kill anybody so now life can go back to normal like <laughs> okay i mean your two best friends just got brutally murdered but it's fine <laughs> clearly clearly the guy the stranger that they murdered uh, and covered up is, uh, is is a lot more distressing to them than their two best friends right. <laughs> And then we get one year later again, and Julie is at college, and she's back to her old perky self, thank goodness, and, you know, she's in a towel with her assets on full display and not full um, display dude i'm afraid <laughs> just gotta point that out for everybody who's <laughs> rushing to download this movie yeah that's true <laughs> it, it it's yeah very pg-13 but and she's talking to ray on the phone and they're talking about how they're going to be getting together and then she gets a mysterious note and uh, she's all scared and she opens it up and oh it's just an invitation to a Pool party. In the huh? same handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> and she she's you know, she goes back into the showers, which she's left on, and so it's all foggy in there, and she sees written on the shower door, I still know. And then we just get a quick flash of what looks like the fisherman jumping out and shattering the shower door, jumping out at her. Uh, and that's the end. 
And then I'm pretty sure in the sequel they just ignore that in Cap. Because there was a sequel, Mm -hmm. a direct sequel, for which uh, Sarah Michelle, or not Sarah Michelle Gellar, excuse me, um, Pinhead, what's her name? (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer Love Hewitt. (laughs) Uh, She came back. I don't remember if any of the rest of them came back. I don't remember if Freddie Prince Jr. came back. But Brandy was in it, and, you know, it, it, it did... Pretty well, too, I think. I saw it. I don't remember anything about it, except for, like, they got invited to, like, some island resort or something, and then the mayhem started again, but... Um, and, and then there was also, there was, there were three of them in total. I don't, I don't think that the third one was a direct sequel. I think it followed all new characters, but I never saw it, so I can't say with any certainty. Um, and I saw, just when I... Uh, searched it on IMDb. There's a new one in development, and I, I don't know if it's a sequel or if it's a, a remake of the original, but uh, there's there's something in development right now. So, I don't know. Maybe the saga will continue. I don't know. What are your final thoughts, sir? Well, the you know, the idea, the premise, this whole notion that started out in the book. You know, where these people have this secret because they did something bad and they tried to cover it up and now it's going to come back to haunt them one year later is cool. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. I just think this is a kind of a dumb, dumb implementation of it. I don't know. There's so many ways it could go. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of suspense because you're going through most of the movie and people are not dying. They're just like getting spooked uh so you're kind of wondering what are these motivations and it kind of throws its hand shows its hand a little bit in showing you that the killer is not clearly not one of them right you know there's there's never any reason to suspect them because we see so much of the killer's physique and his hands and stuff uh that you know it's never a question that it's somebody else doing it and so all of these things that are a little more typical of these movies that kind of throw a lot of things into doubt, kind of keep you wondering, keep you questioning, like Scream did, for example. Yeah. Um, this movie has none of it, you know? And so I didn't really feel a lot of suspense. I was kind of just waiting for it to be all over so I could hear what actually happened, who's the the one that's stalking them, and when is he going to get it done already, you know? That was kind of my thing. And and uh and like you said like it's just it's so paint by numbers that the characters are pretty unbelievable at times and hesh's characters so comically overdrawn it's comically out of place yeah. in this movie you know uh that it just there's so many it's just kind of a mess i guess it's kind of a mess and it unfolds as a mess as the movie goes along and so it's hard to really take it seriously or care about what's going on in my opinion yeah, I think so too. For whatever reason, I really think that it worked in 1997. I don't know. Like horror was going through kind of a interesting the good news about it was that it was kind of coming into the mainstream with yes. with movies like Scream um and all you know a million movies that followed that like Urban Legend and The Faculty and like all you know centered around these young people and I you know I appreciate that for yeah. for what it did for the genre at the time, you know, people were getting kind of hyped up about horror movies, and they were making a lot of money in the theater, and um, you know, that's good. Uh, yeah. I, I I just don't think that it just hasn't aged well, but. The '90s were just kind of lame. Period. <laughs> like <laughs> in so many ways, we I yeah. know we get like you and I especially, and I'm sure that other generations will you know feel differently about different decades or whatever. But you and I are always so nostalgic about the '80s. Um, I, I imagine that there will be generations who will be nostalgic about the '90s, but I just think the '90s were just kind of lame in general. <laughs> and yeah. like, this this is so '90s. It is. <laughs> It's so polished and pretty and vapid and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think at that time, we were just excited to see uh, what had previously been these sort of gritty, extremely low-budget, you know, thrown-together movies that you would laugh at as much as you would, you know, be scared by. Right. Uh, 
just be updated in a in a very solid, very style, very deliberately stylistic way with big name actors and actresses. Everybody looking right. good, slick production. Um, yes, and and, and this, the plot of Scream was still is still so great, and Scream yeah. Two is almost even better than the first one because it builds on it. Um, but then you know the movies that follow in it are kind of a mixed bag plot wise, even though mm-hmm. they were able to kind of take that excitement and that that momentum that we got from hey, this is this kind of cool new genre that we're getting or updating of the genre we're getting from Scream and kind of milk it a little bit. I guess we just kind of ate it up because we were happy to see those kind of movies for a short time. I think so, yeah. I don't know. I I don't want to be too hard on it it, it, because like you said, I mean, it's, it's got a lot going for it. It is really slick. You know, it's, it's, there was clearly money behind it. Big, I mean, the, these were some of the most famous, especially these young people, some of the most famous young people of the day contributing oh, yeah. to this film and to the genre. And so I, you know, I, I, I can appreciate it for the time capsule that it is. But, you know, in hindsight, watching it 20 years later, pass. <laughs> yeah, never going to watch it again. Me yeah. neither. Can't recommend it. Not excited to do the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We have one more episode in our summer fun month. And then uh, beginning next month, we're going to be doing all requests. So we've amassed a nice little pile of requests, and they're still coming in. If you want to get your request in, and we get enough of them, who knows? We might do two months. We'll see. Just go to our Facebook page, look for Two Guys and a Chainsaw, and uh, like us on there. Leave your comments, leave your requests. You can also find our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where we also post written written movie reviews, and we have a huge back catalog of previous episodes to get you all caught up. Until next week, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Uh-huh.